What's happening in the canine industry? For all the latest news, views and expert opinions, stay right here for the canine paradigm. You'll hear from industry leaders, experts, doyens of the industry, learned colleagues, movers and shakers, and the odd Randy guest. Get the latest insights and expert advice from both here and abroad from the people in the know. Now, here are your hosts, Glenn Cook and Pat Stewart. And I'm Lofty Fulton, and I'm out of here. Hey, Glenn, we've got to do a new ad, mate. We do. We're long overdue. We're not going to be sponsoring Einzerwiener anymore. Yeah, well, fuck that no longer. He's fucking not paying us. <laughs> no. We've just figured out. No. Just, he's sitting right here in front of us, <laughs> and we've just figured out he hasn't actually been paying all no this wonder. time. No wonder there's no bread and milk on my table fuck in this after house. After we were just nice to him. <laughs> we're, just, fucking. we're just flattering him. We were just whining and dining him, <laughs> looking after him like a big fucking client we'd look after, and then we find out he hasn't find been paid out he the hasn't bill. Been paying us. the bed. He's doing it right now, so we <laughs> we may as well tell people that if they're in Australia and you need dog gear, don't get it from him. Well, get it from wait, him. Wait until he pays the get bill. Get it from him so that he can pay us. <laughs> What's your stupid website, Jason? E i n z w e c k dot com. There you go. Nice. Get your stuff from there. Okay. All right. On to the real sponsors. Yes, the people who actually pay the bills. Canine Suticals. Yep. The best canine suticals. Premium grade, yep. human quality. Yeah. It's going gangbusters at the moment. Thank you to the community who have been supporting yeah. it. Yeah, it's great shit. Dan Croft. Yes, in Canada. In Canada. Yes, Toronto, Canada, I believe. Yeah. Yes. What were we pushing for him? It's puppy class. Puppy class, yeah. Amazing puppy classes in a great facility. Barbara DeGroote. From the heart dog training. Barbara just loves us and we she love Barbara. She just loves us. Barbara is our sugar mama. Yeah. <laughs> that literally is the thing's called, right? Yeah. The tear that she called. Yeah, okay. Yeah, the sugar mama tear. Thank you, Barbara. We Thank appreciate you. Thank you, Barbara. We love you. Horny George Kittredge. Yes. Rowdy Hound Dog Boxes. Yeah. yeah. The box is incredible. I saw it for the – did we talk about this? Have we done an we ad have. since? We yeah. have talked about how amazing the boxes is. You and I travelled from – where did he pick us up? What, what airport that was, was that? Uh, in Colorado. Colorado. He showed us the prototype. Yeah. We was talking through it. You and I were sort of thinking this is never going to take off. Yeah. And finally – he it's does it. Deal. He pulls it off. Not only does he pull it off, it's fucking brilliant. Like it's safe. And he also does classes where he teaches people how to use them as well. Like teaches the dogs how to get up on the bike seat and then load into the box itself. And it's bloody brilliant. It's incredible. Really proud of George. Lovely guy. And I'm really happy that this is paying out for him. All right. Daniel Trapino? It's actually Tropiano. He corrected me. Okay. So anyway, Daniel Trapino. <laughs> Dog Club South Dog Club, Australia. Australia. Yeah. It's a cool little facility he's got It's a there. great facility. Get yes. in, check it out. He does all the, all the training. Yeah, he's decked it out. He's got it all looking schmick. It's a bit street. It's a bit edge. It's a bit kitschy. You yeah, know? he's got some cool artwork. Yeah, it looks there. good. Check yeah. it out for yeah, sure. it's great. It's about time South Australia started lifting its game. Good on you, Daniel. Yeah, leading the charge down there. Well done. We've got a new one. Who we got? Tailored Canines. We have too. They contacted us on Instagram, yep. stumbled into our advertising <laughs> tier, and away <laughs> we go. Yep. So they're in Canada. They are. They're in Ontario. Gold, Nipopo gold people, yeah, gold multiplicators. I think, I think they're a gold multiplicator. Yep. yep. So if you're recently certified as a silver school and you're mm-hmm. looking for somewhere to do your gold yep. and you're around the Canada or just anywhere up that northern part of the Americas, check it out. Taylor so they Canines. do puppy, adult group classes, private and board and train programs. There you go. Taylor so thank you for jumping on and advertising with us. Hey, everyone. If you would like to be an advertiser, (laughs) reach out to us. Shut up, you bullfed. So I know that on Patreon, and we appreciate people just putting money in there. That's wonderful. Yes. But we do have to limit how many people we have. And so get in contact with us. Make sure that we actually can serve you and that we actually, you know, can provide you value as an advertiser. And that you align with our ethos as well. Of course. That's very important. That would be appreciated. To recap. Our sponsors are, and the people we love because they give us a lot of money. Yeah. Well, it's not a lot of money, but some money. Yeah. Einzewick, he promises he's going to do it. He's, look, I'm looking at him now. I'm looking at the reflection of him fixing Has it. Has that gone through yet? No, because still trying. has got shit pines <laughs> Dan Croft, puppy classes, yep. cool facility. Barbara DeGroot. Amazing sugar mama, love her, from the heart dog training. George Kittredge. Rowdy hound dog boxes. Daniel Tropiano, Tropino. 
Tro- Dog Club, Troppy Daniel. <laughs> Dog Club, sounds straight. Yeah. And new to the family, tailored canines. Yeah. All the way from Ontario, Canada. So we've got two Canadians. That'll do advertising. Yeah. Mo- do. Mostly from the United States, one from Oz. Well done. Well played. Thank you, sirs and Matt. Check them out. They support us. You yeah. should support them. Yep. Here's a show. There's a show now. Here's a show. Welcome back to the Canine Paradigm. I'm your host, Pat Stewart. I'm joined by my co-host, Glenn Cook, and joining us all the way from Vancouver, but originally from Switzerland, we've got Matthias Lenz. Matthias, welcome to the show, mate. Thanks, guys. Yeah, welcome, mate. Happy to be here. Mate, so you've been, unfortunately, with us from pretty early days. I remember seeing you (laughs) in our (laughs) forums and interacting with us online, holding us accountable pretty much right (laughs) from the beginning. That's right. Yeah. I found out about you guys through dog training conversations. So whenever you were on there, ever since then, I think I can say I'm a fan. I've (laughs) listened to almost every episode. I think the self-care ones, a lot of times I'm like, nah, I'm fine. I don't need that. (laughs) (laughs) So I've tuned out there, but anything dog, I'm in. What's your favorite episode so far, Matthias? The box. The box? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I was going to say, Jesus uh, Christ. Oh, that's a tough question. That's years. That's years of episodes. So, yeah, it's a hard I, one. So. Yeah, I don't know. And it's oftentimes it's not the episode, it's bits and pieces, right? Mm. I think that, like, in terms of like learning stuff, I know like the Napopo stuff was pretty interesting to me. Cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cool. Mate, so your background, we'll get into what you do now and that, that you work with raising blind dogs or dogs that can see to help blind people. We've had sort of, you know, many back and forth over the years. I think that you're a person I consider, you know, a peer that I am interested in the opinion of. And one of the people that like, you know, we get a lot of people give us feedback on the show and that's wonderful. And we get a lot of really positive feedback and we get a lot of people calling us fucking assholes. But you're one of the few people that when you call me an asshole, I accept it. <laughs> I know that it's like, hey, because you've given this feedback on the in the past about how you could have done this or I would have like questioned you to push this person or I'm curious about how you would do this. And I really appreciate that because I think that while me and you have perhaps very different takes on some things in dogs and the area in which we work in dogs is very different, I think that our ethos is largely the same. So, Matt, go back right to the start and tell us how is it that you came to be in dogs? What was it that drew you to that? And and bring us all the way up to where you are now and what you do now. Yeah, I think I'm uh, not the typical dog trainer that had a problem dog. I'm a kid that loved animals all my life. Like I was just animals, animals, animals. I watched all the nature shows. I read all the books. I had almost any pet you could legally have in Switzerland. I had snakes, I had stick insects, guinea pigs, dogs, cats, everything. Nothing could hold my interest like that topic of animals. So like at school, I was not terrible, not great. I didn't have passion for a lot of things other than animals. So I just wanted a career with animals all along, but it didn't seem like the thing to do. Parents wouldn't have want to see me become a zookeeper. Having said that, I did go to a zoo for a week to see if I would like it. I've never been as tired in my life. <laughs> it was such such hard work. I spent the summer as a partridge observation technician where I helped the Swiss Ornithological Institute track partridges and stuff. They had radios and I had to like help with that. Yeah, I was just on the hunt of working with animals all along, but always gave up on it, kind of. Eventually, I realized that, like, if you, after going to the zoo, I was like, if you want to work with animals, it's dogs or horses. Everything else Mm -hmm. is taking care of them. So I had no relationship to horses. I had dogs growing up, so I was like, dogs it is. I found out about guide dogs. I was like, that's what I want to do. So I applied to become an apprentice, but I had nothing to show. I had no experience training dogs or anything. So I got denied a whole bunch of times and I kind of gave up on that. I went traveling to Australia, New Zealand, met my Canadian wife, and I came to Canada to be with her. And at that point, I was like a recruiter and working office jobs and things like that. So I couldn't find a job while I arrived here. So I was like, while I'm looking for a job, 
I'll go hire on with a dog walking company and just do that. So then I was with that company for four and a half years, completely just fell in love with dog training. So kind of worked my way up from dog walker to manager of the dog walking company to becoming a dog trainer, helping like running group classes for clients and doing one-on-one coachings. And then from there, I saw a job posting with the local guide dog school or puppy training supervisor. So I applied for that. That was eight years ago. And at this point, I'm the director of puppy raising. Nice. Tell us a little about the puppy raising. What does that entail? What age do you consider them puppies? When do they go out? When do they come back? What are the requirements you have people teach? How involved are you? Talk us through the whole process. Yeah, they get placed with the puppy raising families. Those are volunteer families, a lot of times retired people, when they're eight weeks old and they go into advanced training anywhere between 14 to 24 months. And so it doesn't depend on the dog. When they come in, it's more about like, when are we ready to take the dogs off their hands? So we have backlog sometimes and sometimes we run out of dogs. So anyways, they come in. And so my job is to, I overlook now the whole raising of these puppies from eight weeks until they go into advanced training. So we do quite a bit of obedience, like the usual stuff, sit, come down, stay. But the main focus is settling, settling in any environment, impulse control. Like they're all labs, 95%. So not eating things is a big one. And doing it automatically, right? Like not having to be told to not eat the thing. Just like mm-hmm. if there's a thing, you're not going to touch that. It's that. So it's volunteer families. We help them. We do a lot of one-on-one training with the people as well as group classes. Mm-hmm. That's it in a nutshell. How did you think as a dog walker, that was sort of your intro, your hands on a lot of dogs. I see a lot of dog walkers that say that they're not ready to be trainers or whatever, but in fact, they're incredible dog trainers. They just haven't really acknowledged that just yet because their management and their dealing with dogs on a day-to-day means that they are training the dogs nonstop. They're constantly building behaviors. They might not be formal sit-down stand type stuff, but they're definitely training dogs all day, every day, dog walkers. And if you get a good one, they're training that dog in a direction you like. And if you get a bad one, they're training that dog in a direction you don't. As when you started in dog walking, Was that where you started to develop your skills as a trainer or was there a formal line in the sand one day where you said, okay, now I'm going to start investigating and and training. And was there a blur between those two? Like, did you start sneakily training some dogs that you are only being paid to walk? So the company I used to work for, we prided ourselves in doing more than just walking. So we did offer day training and we prided ourselves that we would try and get any dog into group walks we didn't promise it but we were like we'll start on private walks we'll get a connection with the dog we'll work with the dog get them trained up to what we think needs to happen then we would bring our own dogs along for those private walks then we would ease them into two dog walks so i learned a ton right (laughs) like i had a lot of Fully aggressive and reactive dogs, and I walked them. We did a lot of on-leash walking. We did off-leash as well, but the majority was on-leash. So you walk a, a group of dogs in Vancouver, so there's dogs everywhere. And I had some awful moments, <laughs> four dogs trying to get at each other, and I was in the middle of it. Nobody came to help, but I learned a lot. I learned a lot of things that you shouldn't do (laughs) and a lot of things that you should do. And actually, in preparation for this interview today, I was just thinking about my journey. And I just had this realization that, like, by no means, I think I'm like a crazy great dog trainer or whatever. But the main knowledge that I have stems from the dogs themselves. And then the other thing is like exploring ideas that I heard somewhere. And like, just dig deep, dig deep into it and asking tons of questions. And so like, I would go to a seminar and the seminar would give me some ideas, but I think where I got an understanding or where I got better was like, I would take that thing from a seminar, try it out. And I would be like, well, that didn't work. Why didn't it work? And that's why I would go ask questions and just asking questions and having conversations with other professionals. That plus the dogs, that's really where you at least me, I picked up most of my stuff that way. Yeah, right. 
Yeah, for sure. That, that networking piece is a huge part of everybody bringing the same information forward for sure. And so your initial sort of imprinting in dog training, I understand, was really plus R based, right? I wouldn't say force free, but certainly plus R based. Is that from that original company or was that something you held yourself prior? Like your ethos in dog training, where did that come from? The company I worked for wasn't strictly R plus. Like they handed me a Cesar Milan book. Uh, They also also handed me a ton of R plus stuff. Like they just took everything. They were not limiting themselves. I think they looked at themselves more as R plus than balanced. And so it was, I would say, R plus leaning. There was other things happening too. Where I went like heavily R plus was my own dog. I had a rescue dog, Border Collie, Pitbull Cross. She came with a lot of issues and a lot of anxiety and fear aggression towards other dogs. It was like very much about dogs invading her space. So I was trying to board dogs from the company and she was trying to kill them. And I'm not just saying that, like she literally, she got a pug. She lost her canines because she tried to bite through a metal crate. So she didn't have her canines anymore. And the pug had all these wrinkles on its neck. I'm pretty sure without the wrinkles and with her canines, that pug would have been dead because the hole was pretty big. And so I I did the typical, what the R plus community will caution against and should, rightfully so, because what happened to me was like, I tried to punish her for her aggressive responses, right? And I tried to punish her in the early stages. So she would look at them funny. I'm like, leash correction and try and correct her for wanting to aggress. I think it was actually mostly like wanting to aggress. I think once she was aggressing, I just like separated. I didn't try to correct that. But what happened was she stopped showing the warning signs and she would just, her warning sign, because I kind of like tried to reinforce soft eyes because I got told like if they have soft eyes, they're good. So if she had soft eyes, I would leave her alone. And then if she was doing anything else, hog stare or whatever, I would correct her. So then... She would have these soft eyes and people are like, she's fine. At the end, I was like, no, she's about to kill your dog. (laughs) So it was terrible. It didn't go well. And then I realized it was, I didn't do that for very long. I was like, this is not heading the right direction. So I flipped and I was like, what else can I do? Here's like counter conditioning, R plus. And so I went that route and like had huge success. Not, I never fully turned around. I'm always curious if I, could have knowing what I know now, but mm. like things came together. I made tons of progress. It went way better with the R plus side of things. So I was sold, right? And so I went and got my Karen Pryor Academy certification just because they had a really good reputation. I knew nothing about it really. I was just like, everybody tells me that's good. It's R plus. Let's do it. And I learned a lot, but not everything. <laughs> yeah. Your story is not unfamiliar. You know, there's a lot of people I think who can tell a similar story and you frame it the same way many people do where we say, you know, I tried correcting the behavior, punishing away the behavior, caused me an issue. I then changed to a completely different approach and the other approach worked. But do you ever consider or do you reflect on that both had a role, right? Like you weren't necessarily happy with the outcomes of just punishing away the problem behavior. You needed to counter condition and play, do all those sorts of things. Do you ever think like, no, it was definitely the plus R stuff that changed the dog and made life more manageable. But do you consider like how that would have gone had you started from the start while you still had the aggressive responses without having told the dog, no, you can't do that, but I need you to feel this way later on. If it were without that initial part, do you think it would have gone the same or differently? I have no idea. Your guess is as good as mine. I know that like the reason that my corrections didn't work was like, Hey, I was super emotional. I didn't know what the heck I was doing. I think my timing probably was okay, but like, I didn't know what I was doing. I planned and I didn't do it in conjunction with R plus. So, mm-hmm. and I feel like part of the reason I'm here is, is that I'm hugely in favor of R plus training. Like any good trainer, in my opinion, should be. But I think there is time and places where we need to look other ways. And I think sometimes you might not get to where you want with R plus only at all. And I think other times you might get there, but it's more clear to the dog if you add in some type of aversive or something like that. So does that answer the question? 
I'm yeah, not sure I sort of, yeah. them. I'll chime in here if, if you don't mind, guys. I've been listening to the conversation so far, but I'll give you an example of something that happens regularly in my job. So listening to you chatting about your first attempts at corrections and then switching over to an R plus form, finding success in that. And I agree with you, you know, like there are times where the R plus approach is fantastic. It's great. It's the best thing for the dog. It's the best thing for the handler. It's best for everybody. However, there's a situation, especially at my work, um, and it reminds me of a conversation or not even a conversation, but probably a little bit of an ambush situation where I had at work some time ago where I had somebody that was very R plus minded that was working in the kennels and they saw me dealing with a dog where we have to walk down a narrow corridor while there's dogs on all sides and some dogs are very reactive to it. I punished the dog. The dog walked out fine with me. And then one of the staff at the time felt that what I did was inappropriate. They didn't like it. They spoke to their manager. The manager came and said to me, we have to have a conversation about this. And I said, yep, fine, no problem. The staff member joined in the conversation They told me their likes and dislikes about what I did. And I said, fine, let me just ask the question. And I said, did you see it resolve? And they said, yes, but, and I said, if there's a but to this and you believe that I should have done it a better way, or there is a better way, show me, educate me, show me what it is that I'm doing wrong and prove to me that your method is more proficient with that dog than mine. And they said, well, I don't have the time. And I said, what do you mean? And they said, well, the dog goes home in a week and I don't have the time to do what I need to do. And I said, case and point. Every staff member who handled that dog came to me and said the dog was redirecting on them. They couldn't get the dog out of the kennel because the dog was fighting with the other dogs. I said, what I did was I resolved that matter quickly and I made that dog dislike that behavior profusely. But I also made sure that if that dog acknowledge me in that process. I wanted the dog to know that I was in the dog's mind and I saw the dog and I saw the efforts and I was making sure that I was rewarding the dog. So in the example that I gave, when you saw me walking out with the dog, did you notice that the dog didn't want to fight with any of the dogs anymore? And she said, yeah, but that's because the dog was afraid of you. And I said, no, you're wrong. The dog was afraid of the behavior, which is exactly what I wanted to do. The dog was wagging its tail. It was making contact with me. It was engaging with me. It was playing with me because I said the punishment was over the minute the dog decided not to do that behavior. That's because I'm proficient at what I do. I know how to correct the dog for the behavior at the moment. And I said, that's what needed to happen. I said, I can't wait a week and have four staff taken out of their jobs because they're getting bitten in the legs by a dog that can't walk up a pathway properly. And she said, yeah, but you know, there are other ways. I said, acknowledged there are, I agree with you. There are other ways and I would rather not do this, but I have to do this. And I said, do you know why I know this works? And I said, cause I've done this hundreds of times where I've had to take dogs out of kennels and walk them out for staff that can't do it or are too afraid to do it. And I've done a hundred times where the dog has gone, yep, I'm not doing this. I'm out. I'm finished with the behavior. So it's not a matter of my ego or my fragility that I'm talking about. It's a matter that I know it works because I've seen it work and I can do it really quickly because I'm super proficient at that. So everybody has their lane. Everybody has something that they're very proficient in. And I agree there, there are fantastic ways where people deal with things in an R plus way and they bring dogs around and they get the dog to come to a conclusion that this is a better way of life. It's more favorable for them. But in a situation where you're talking about something that you need to happen versus something where you've got time to make it happen, that's where I have to intervene with people in those type of conversations. Yeah. I think that the number one thing in dog training is clarity. Like if we provide clarity to the dog, like if that dog that you're talking about got clarity and, and it was over after that one time, and now the dog gets to walk through that aisle and get to where it needs to go. Like people are spending more time with it. I don't know. Like I'm sure there's a benefit and that benefit to the dog, not just your staff of the dog getting that message, right? And so if it's a one correction and it solves many, many issues, I think there can definitely be an argument made for it. Like I wasn't there, I don't know what the situation is. I don't think I wanna get in an argument with you on whether whether it was right or not. But coming back to my dog, I don't think a correction would have been the right thing because she came at it from a really strong fear 
based, it was a lot of anxiety and just correcting her behavior did not work because her anxiety remained. She just internalized it. And so I think there's a huge, like if we have a dog like that, we need to help this dog feel better. And maybe a correction or corrections are part of that solution, but I don't think it's the whole solution for my dog. I don't Mm. know about your, but like my dog, looking back, I know I could have done better. I'm not saying that I couldn't have gotten there with some corrections, but I think corrections only, like I don't think would have solved it because she would have just internalized it. So yeah, I think like a lot of times, like I had a conversation with a, a balance trainer the other day, I watched a video of his and there was a correction used that I felt like was unfair. So I like privately messaged him and, and we had a conversation about it. And I was like, why are you not going to counter conditioning right away? Like, or like, why are you not counter conditioning? Why are you correcting the dog for resource scouting? And he was saying it was a safety issue. Like he was like, I need to, like the dog is unsafe. I need to correct this behavior. And then I will add in counter conditioning after. And I'm not entirely convinced that that needs to happen, that you can count the condition first and then add in corrections after. I feel like that's always the better way to do as far as I'm concerned. But at the same time, I'm like, as long as you're working on the emotion of the dog and the dog eventually is not just not resource guarding because they're afraid of what might happen, but also just actually feels better about the whole situation, then we're good. There's different ways on how we can do things, right? And we agree on that. There's definitely no argument with me on that. And I also advocate that in the situation or the example that I used before, the staff member that actually brought up the issue with me, their suggestion at the time was what we need to do is move dogs out of the kennels and then have this dog then be able to walk up without the aggravation of all the other dogs at the kennels. And I said, And where do we put the dogs? We're full. It's peak time. How do we do this? You need to logistically show me how we can do this your way and it's going to benefit. And I said, I agree with you. I think there are uh, other ways and other methods that we could look at. And I said, and I also agree that after the dog leaves the kennel, there are other thoughts and feelings and concerns that need to be expressed. Like that dog needs to feel better about that situation. I 100% agree with you. And something which was explained to me when I was a younger trainer was the way a student feels at the end of the lesson is more important than how they feel at the start of the lesson. Like it's better to make sure that they feel better about themselves, the situation and what they took away with it than when they first arrived. Because whenever anybody arrives at the lesson, they're uncertain of how to feel. They don't know how to feel. So obviously there are feelings and thoughts and concerns and anxieties that are present. And at the end, hopefully, If the mentor or the teacher or the instructor was proficient in their job, what they should do is provide clarity. They should provide an incremental message that the student goes, I know how to stay in tempo with what you're suggesting. That makes sense to me. I feel good about this. I feel more in control of what I'm doing. Even with those dogs, in the example that I used before, getting them out and using that well-placed, well-timed and proficient correction was one part of the journey. But that's, we're talking about a two-minute exercise versus the next part of the session was also making sure that the dog felt relief, the dog understood what happened, and the dog felt empowered that I don't want to do this behavior anymore. I don't want to go back into the kennels. And staff always remark on things like that when I'm handling dogs, but I've been doing this for a long time. So they say, it's amazing when you take the dogs out, how even after that lesson happened, when you return to the kennels, that the dogs don't want to do it with you, but they do want to do it with me. And I said, that's because you're kind of doing the hokey pokey with the dog. You're in and you're out. You're in and you're out where I'm all the way in when I'm committed to it. I need the dog to understand there is no ifs and buts about this, buddy. Like if you do it, it's the worst possible thing that you could do. But if you don't do it, fantastic things are going to happen. Like when you get back to the kennel, I'm not just going to throw you in there and dump you and walk away. I'm going to come in there. I'm going to praise you. I'm going to stay with you. I'm going to reward you. We're going to do some fun stuff in the kennel. Like I'm really going to let you decompress and think about this because it's not just about the physical correction. It's about getting in your head and relieving the way that you actually feel. Like all of these things matter. 
I'm not trying to convince you or change your mind. Like you feel what you feel and you do what you want to do as a dog trainer. But I feel that we are being encouraged to dance around punishment sometimes or let's try so many different things. Whereas people who are good at it and are proficient at it and do know how to follow up with it proficiently as well, when I'm using the word proficient, people who do know how to follow up with it as well. And it's not just about, I just want to give you the correction because I feel that that relieves me better than it does for you. When we're told, don't do it, you know, try other things. Granted, there is a playbook of lots of different technique and considerations that we can have. And depending on the environment you're in, depending on, as the other trainer says, the safety issues around it, because this was a considerable safety issue. And as I said before, I'm not joking around when I'm saying, you know, like I had to count out probably four or five staff that probably would have been chewed up by this dog. And I'm talking about probability here, not fact, because I don't know if he was going to, but one staff said he is trying to redirect at me when I'm bringing him up at the kennels because he's frustrated about not being able to achieve his objective. So there are times where some of the considerations or some of the playbooks certainly narrows down and you need to then consider other things. I then really don't think it's fair to the dog to have to play the dog through that every day while you feel better about yourself saying, I need to relieve myself and think that I've thrown everything at this dog. Meanwhile, I'm putting myself, I'm putting other people at risk trying to do these type of things. But in a safe situation, in a vacuum where you've got means and measures to be able to control it, you've got distances, you've got capabilities, absolutely, absolutely, 100%. Try your counter conditioning. Throw all your energies at it because I do believe that you're going to get results and you are going to see a turnaround. Anyway, I'm not arguing with you. I'm not trying to create an argument out of this. I'm not trying to make people feel less than about it. I'm just talking about actual results. I'm speaking my truth about things that I see that work and effectiveness that I see by using well-time, well-placed corrections, but also following it up with methodologies and other practices after the event. I think we're all sort of on the same page. Matthias, expand on it a little bit for us if you can, mate, like your feelings on weighing the aversive experience to the dog. You know, I think one of the things that I I think sometimes most people who I consider not just balanced trainers, but, uh, you know, probably 18 months ago, I made that video about this spectrum of dog training and the people who are in that middle section that are not, what do you call it, I suppose, extremistly attached to anything. But there's a various opinions about weighing the experience to the dog in that sometimes, you know, leaving the dog under tension, being either frustrated or scared or in a situation that clearly is causing the issue the dog has, a prolonged version of fixing that can leave that dog in that experience for a much longer period of time, whereby maybe an aversive consequence in one form or another over a very short period of time allows the dog to more quickly be removed from that situation and be in a situation that is overall more reinforcing or more pleasant to the dog. And I feel like that's kind of where most of us kind of fall. Can you tell us a little bit about your thoughts and and your experience with that and, and with the community around you? Like, is that something that you guys strive towards. And I'm interested in your take on that as much as you, you know, in training the puppies that you deal with as well as just normal mm. dog training in general. I still occasionally take on other dogs. So I'm still keeping my hand in pet dog training, although I shut down my business because I didn't have enough time for it. But I agree with what both of you say. I think sometimes, and like that's, uh, I think this conversation we're having today is maybe due to some of the posts that I made on Facebook. One of them started with uh, just because you're using positive reinforcement, it doesn't mean you're being the kindest you could be. And so I definitely believe that adding aversives in can be the kindest thing. And I don't think it's like a lot of times it's not the kindest thing if you look at that one training session, but if you look at the dog's overall life experience over the few months or weeks, then it is the kind of thing, because if your aversive allows for the dog to have more freedom, go more places, not be locked away, like if it allows for management to be reduced, then I think it should be considered because I think in the our class world, a lot of times there's so much management, management, you just lock the dog away, you don't bring it. You don't let them off leash. You don't do this. And I'm like, but that's no quality of life. That's not good. So if I think I can fix a problem by making it 
uncomfortable or like and and i think we can get really creative with aversives too it doesn't need to be pain fear intimidation a lot of times like what i play around with a lot is like just giving the dog the opposite outcome of what they wanted like they wanted to achieve x i'm gonna provide them with consequence y and it's not aversive it's just like hey like you wanted the toy i give you a treat or like more often it's like with attention in my world it's a lot of times like attention seeking behavior you want my attention you lost my attention you lost the whole training session i'm out things like that right so yeah i think aversives punishment it can you be used to provide clarity to the dog and then like over long-term improve quality of life so i think like i have a problem sometimes with the lima discussions i want to use an example that i had like i worked with a dog that was refusing to go into the car i got told the dog is terrified of the car doesn't go in the car now the dog is not going anywhere it's just home used to enjoy walking in the woods all those things so I got called in, another trainer had worked with the families on the successive approximations, marker training, shaping the dog to get into the car. They could not get to where they wanted. Potentially, I think, because the trainer went, showed them, and then left the client to do it themselves. And they just right. weren't professional dog trainers. So they pushed too hard, pushed, uh, wanted too much, they lumped. And so like it caused problems, they couldn't accomplish it, right? So I'm not saying shaping wouldn't have worked. I think with a professional trainer, it very likely could have worked, but how many sessions of a professional trainer to do that with a dog that has not experienced shaping or markers before, it's a long time, right? And so when I went there, I looked at the dog, I asked them questions, it became clear very quickly that the dog did not have a problem traveling with in the car. They were like, oh, like sleeps away, like sleeps, eats, totally relaxed in the car. I walked the dog around different cars, the owner's car. The dog didn't have a problem with the cars. Like the only issue was the threshold, like so many dogs, right? Like how many times do we have a threshold issue? So like, I don't know why, I never figured out why the dog had an issue with threshold. But I knew that was the problem. Like I assessed the situation. And so what did I do? I dragged the dog in through the protest and then threw a party for the dog. Hot dogs, got the dog out. I had to apply leash pressure again, much less. That was it. After that, the dog was jumping in with joy, not mm. like, oh my God, with joy because they knew, A, He's not going to let me get away with backing out of it. Like I've had like huge reinforcement history for the backing out. And he's going to give me all the rewards. I had to then coach the owner on actually being able to do that themselves and doing the same thing. But we did. We did in one session. The problem was solved and the dog got to go back to trips. So I could have like, and then I, I remember bringing this example up in an R plus forum. And I got told, well, I solved the same problem with a ramp. And so they trained the dog to go up and down the ramp. They had the owner buy a ramp. They probably spent five sessions of a very expensive dog trainer in my area. And I'm like, that's fine. Good for you. I'm glad you have that client that is willing to buy the ramp and do like have the money to spend on you. I think my dog experienced a total of four seconds maximum of discomfort, a whole lot of happy feelings. And the problem was, I can tell you, it was solved for good. So uh, in my opinion, if we look at the a few months of the dog's life, my approach was more Lima because I gave the dog freedom off leash things back. Now, I do want to say, like, I've tried the same thing once with a dog that was afraid of cars and that backfired hugely. Like, I got the dog in, but the next time the dog was stalling like 30 feet away. I was like, no, nah, I'm not going to let you do that again or whatever. And when you were talking... Glenn, I hear what you're saying, and I think you're right. But I think when we have these conversations, what me and many other Outplus trainers are worried about is the inexperience, because they can come very quickly to the point where they are like, well, I can't fix this with Outplus or whatever. Like, this is the only way. But if you know more, you could fix this problem, right? Like, we can jump to punishment very quickly if we're inexperienced, because we think we've exhausted the other options. So I just feel like that's something that I wish the balance training community would highlight a bit more that when you give that advice, like when I tell somebody about this experience with that dog, 
I also tell them the experience about the dog where it backfired so that they hopefully then if they're in the same situation, think of that as well. I was like, oh, Matthias told me that when the dog is really afraid of the car, like maybe we need to really work on the dog being comfortable in the car rather than just like doing the quick fix version of this, right? And so I think it's really important that when we're suggesting aversives, uh, punishment, that we educate people on on the risks and what could go wrong. And I'm just going to say one more thing. I see Pat wants to say that. <laughs> no, you're right. I listened to a balanced dog trainer podcast the other day, and it's targeting owners more so than professionals. And there was a punishment. The dog was mouthy, not dangerous, if I remember correctly. And I think the advice was spraying the dog with water. Now, the advice was given, and it was like, that's what I would do, and done. And I'm like, but there's so many ways this could go. The dog might like the spray. Mm. The dog might get afraid of water, having people with water bottles. Like it so depends on the dog and the situation on whether I would advise that, right? So like, I, I think it's dangerous to give that advice with like the information that that trainer had from that person. Maybe he had more, but like the way I took it, I'm like, you have way too little information to be suggesting that. Not saying that it won't work or that it's the wrong thing to do, but we need to have more information. Or if we don't have the information, then we should just talk about like what could happen or why it might not work or the risks that are associated with it. Yeah. Listening to you speak, mate, I feel like in both probably camps of dog training, when you're talking balanced or you're talking just plus R people, I think that there's a subset and it usually does involve a lack of experience that puts you into this mm. where you get a little bit convinced like in the science, right? So like say a lot of say balanced dog trainers, fairly new, usually they're just straight out of a school. They're really into operant and classical conditioning and they can solve everything operantly. And they run into the same problems that Skinner and Thorndike did where like, yep, for sure, there's plenty of things that you can get an animal to do and it will do it because of the consequences of its actions. You know, that you use, you can use punishment, you can use reinforcement and you can manipulate the behavior of the dogs given those exact same set of circumstances when classical conditioning kicks in. But they don't necessarily understand the operant reason why the behavior is happening has a very deep underlying emotional reason and that that is what's going to drive the future behaviors and future versions of those behaviors. And so that emotional need needs to be met regardless of the behavioral outcomes. For sure. I mean, I can punish away just about any behavior that I don't like in a dog with enough aversive consequences, it will go away. That very specific behavior in that very specific circumstance. But the emotion that drives that behavior it, or the, the mental state that drives that behavior exists and it will result in a manifestation in some other way. And that might be much worse than, might be much worse for me. It might be much worse for the dog. It might be much worse for society at large by not really understanding why are you doing this? And how can I solve this problem for you in a way that results in you having a better life and, and things going more well? But I think similarly then on the other side of the equation, we get people who are inexperienced. And my experience with inexperienced plus R community is everything's hypothetical. Like it'll work. And when it doesn't, and someone says to them, well, no, you just have to keep doing it because I went to a seminar that was completely on the whiteboard or, you know, it was all PowerPoint presentation. And I was told by a big name in the plus R community that this will work. And so it will work in this circumstance. And it's like, yeah, but there's no evidence of that. Like saying it and making reference to a bunch of studies from which you've picked and chosen the very specific examples or the very specific outcome of, but no look at the overall picture of how that goes. And I think they're the people that cause us a lot of, they're the ones that we end up resenting within our own communities, I suppose, or when they think they speak on behalf of us and you're like, no, no, that's not at all. You don't represent me at all. And I think that we both sort yeah. of suffer from that quite a bit. But what I think is certainly like my whinge about all of that is that balanced trainers doing shitty balanced training, it's a bad experience for that dog. But what I see quite a lot is you get a lot of theoretical plus R trainers attacking people over the way that they're doing their balanced training. Like, you know, not to toot my own home, but I know some stuff about dogs, right? And I can train a dog to a pretty high standard. 
And it, it always sort of amuses me when someone will troll me online and I just sort of go, oh, I've got 10 minutes. I'm doing a poo, right? Like I'll just click on your profile and, <laughs> and you've never trained a dog or you're an 18 year old kid that has your family pet, which is reactive. And I can see within five seconds of watching you interact with the dog, you've caused that reactivity and you're trying to lecture me about the risks of using compulsion and aversives and stuff like that. And I'm like, man, I've got hundreds of dogs under the belt doing this exact same technique. And like, I've seen the outcome. So that's, I think, the issues that we face within our communities is, again, these outliers being very vocal and having a lot to say and thinking that they can influence the middle. And then the people within those middle points being drawn away from the middle by the outliers, thinking that they have to defend them. And I think that especially now in the modern world where people like me and and many, many others, but I'll use myself as an example, like I rely on an audience. I sell a product to an audience, you know? And so I think some of the trainers that we see in the balanced community, but also as well in the plus R community, perhaps more so, are stuck in a position where they're having to pander to their audiences. And and I don't see a lot of the plus R people looking at their own community and going, hey, you guys are crazy. Like, this is madness. You Like, this is just incorrect what you're saying because they know that then they come for them. And so what I've seen, I'd love to hear you speak on it, if you feel comfortable to or if you agree, is what have you seen of that? You know, people who maybe say that they train one way and are influencing a group of new and inexperienced trainers to think and feel a particular way about training. When in reality, they don't, those people don't actually do that stuff. They don't actually train the way that their, their audience believes that they do. Have you experienced that is something that you've seen? Hearing you speak is like, I just want to make it clear. Like, I feel like there is no balance community and there is no R plus community. Like they just subgroups and like yeah. there is a whole bunch of balance trainers that I could identify with so much and a whole bunch of R plus people that I could not identify vice versa. Like it's all over the place. So like the labels, I think we just use for simplicity. My biggest beef, why I posted on Facebook, like just because you're using R plus is not the kind of thing to do. And a whole bunch of other things I posted about is that like, I think there's this, the R plus community has created this echo chamber like people and I, like again i'm not saying everybody but it's my belief and i like have no data to confirm that but it's my belief that the majority of the people that are heavily engaged and in the r plus community don't look much towards a balanced side like they just consume the information that is put out by other r plus people and so I think it has created this echo chamber where, again, I think it, like part of the problem is those really aggressive people that like target you if you mention punishment, if you mention aversive. And so they'll go and cancel you. So everybody's aware of that. So then people don't talk about those things. So mm. I don't know if I'm like, people show how they train, but they might not talk about like, other things because like in the train like they they refuse to talk about certain topics entirely like there's just like let's not talk about punishment let's not talk about aversives we just do not talk about it and that's not the whole picture and when you start talking with a lot of these people that might have courses where they explain to you and i don't think it's like entirely misleading like that's what they do but then if you go like here's what I would do or whatever. Like, they'll be like, oh yeah, that's fine. Yeah, that sounds yeah. good to me. And I'm like, but why not talk about it? <laughs> like, why not yeah. talk about it, right? And so I have sent one of my videos where I pulled a dog through a protest. It wasn't a car, but similar situation, right? I sent it to one very well-known positive reinforcement trainer that like keeps talking about like how they use pretty much only positive reinforcement. And I was like, hey, I want to know, how would you have handled this situation? I explained everything. It's like, this is how I solved it. But like, knowing that you are doing everything out plus, like, tell me. And like, I was very curious. And basically, the answer I got was like, well, you were dicking around too much. I would have done this much earlier. Right. <laughs> I'm like, what? <laughs> I was very surprised by that answer. And so I think that's problematic, right? And and coming back to what I said earlier about like, I've learned so much 
through talking to people and asking questions, but you cannot ask certain questions in an R plus form. You just cannot do that anymore. And I have a big problem with that because mm -hmm. like, if I'm just asking a question, I haven't done anything. I'm just like curious, like that's wrong. We should be able to ask questions and talk through it. And in one of my Facebook posts, I gave the example of like, I knew of one person and she's heavily engaged in the R plus community, but I also knew she was using aversive. She was open to punishment. So I ran something by her and I basically was looking for her permission that she said, yeah, I would do the same. But she actually was like asking me a few more questions. And then she was like, actually, like, here's an R plus way to solve this fast and efficient, not long. And I'm like, thank you. I mm -hmm. did not need to do it, right? Like I didn't have the knowledge she had. And so like, for me, that was a really big moment. I was like talking about the possibility of an aversive, like actually made me not use the aversive. And so I think people missed that part of it. And so I just like, I mean, overall, I just want people to ask questions, explore everything. And I just want to make sure, like one thing I wanted to say today is that I learned from the people that I worked with at first. Then I explored the R plus community solely. I got told, don't look where the balance trainers are. And so I didn't for quite a while. And then once I started looking in the balanced community like i found information that i could not find in the r plus community and it helped me become a better trainer and so i just wish other people would be able to do that same thing or the r plus community would start talking about this then nobody would have to go to the balance community because we maybe all balanced at that point i don't know that's kind of the point it's one of the things like i know we're shit talking about like a lot of people when I see in those groups, because I'm in a lot of those same forums, right? I don't participate. I just watch because every time I put my head above the parapet, uh, I get cut down. And so, you know, why would I bother, right? Why would I contribute? But I see that there's all the like forbidden words and the trigger warnings about things. And it's very frustrating because when people talk about, oh, this is the guaranteed outcome of punishment, like you, this will happen, this will happen. I want to get in there and be like, no, like there's a circumstance where that will happen for sure. And this is how you avoid that. And it would be so easy to explain that kind of thing sometimes where, you know, like there's this assumption that there will be fallout from using punishment and that it will ruin your relationship with the dog and that it will result in the dog being scared of you and only doing what it does because of you. And it's just not true. It's just not true. And of course, there are circumstances that can lead to that being true and those need to be avoided. But I can't educate you about those until you at least accept that they're not true. And the weirdest thing that I see in those forums is when somebody will post like a video. I got kicked out of a forum one time because I posted asking questions about something. Now, I admit I was kind of being a dick, right? But I was tongue in cheek asking questions about something. But I was kicked out of the forum because my dog was wearing an electric collar in the video. But it wasn't overt. And there was a long discussion that was quite interesting prior to somebody first pointing out that my dog was wearing an electric collar. So everything was fine. We were talking about the attitude of the dog, capability of the dog. Everything was fine until it was pointed out, no, that dog's wearing electric collar. And now all the unnoticed, noticeable things suddenly come out, right? Oh, it's stressed. Look at it, lipping its lips and all this. It's like, yeah, it's Malinois looking at a ball. Like it, it's stressed for sure. That's a hundred percent the case. He wants that ball so badly that it's causing a mild amount of stress. Like that's just reality. And then, you know, yeah. you go back to check the comments and it's gone. The whole group's gone. I'm not in it anymore. You know? And so it is very frustrating when there's things that cannot be said. And I think that the, what's terrifying about that, and we see it in the bigger, the broader world at the moment, is usually the more someone tries to convince you not to look somewhere, the more important it is that you do look there, right? People in authority say, you must never look at what these people are, are doing over there. It's probably more important than ever that you do look and see what those people are doing over there, because why should you not be allowed to look? If it were really a problem, you would identify that when you saw it. Yeah. The only thing I would say about, because like, I think in an ideal world, there would be like this community of like the middle people, right? Like the middle mm -hmm. people of people of balanced and our plus. And I do think like there would be a benefit of balanced trainer 
going to our plus communities too because like they don't know what they don't know like they haven't a lot of times our plus people uh balance people like they say like oh i know how to use positive reinforcement or whatever but then you look at them no you don't you don't have the skills like you're not very proficient at it but of course like why would you go there if you're getting shamed for how you train or whatever like i understand why it's not happening but uh, like my wish is still like that we would all come together because again like i think in the balance community sometimes like if the positive reinforcement trainer will be really good in pointing out where some of the things might be problematic like in your forum last week i think somebody gave a one-liner like correct the dog for not something something it got likes and i saw it and i'm like what like that's the answer so i gave a long like response to that because i'm like maybe you're right but at least explain to me why and explain the reason like they didn't say how to correct the dog. Maybe they meant just reposition the dog. And I would be like, sure. Or like, I, I don't remember what it was about. But I'm like, it's dangerous to give certain advice too, right? Like, and that does not happen in the R plus community that somebody were mm-hmm. to just say, and then if an in- inexperienced person, like I just, I always worry about like the people entering the field. I was lucky that like, I don't know if I didn't know what the internet was or whatever, but when I started, I just like, took the books that were given to me. I didn't go to any forums and they did exist uh, to my knowledge, but I just learned from the dogs and from the people I was around. And so by the time I started entering forums, I had opinions. I had a pretty good understanding of things. And for me, like, it was amazing. Like I like, I, I had all these questions and I got answers to them. But I think if you're going in inexperienced, like there's so much, potential for you to taking one piece of information that is not necessarily the wrong information, but you not having the rest of the knowledge, you're going to do something stupid with it. Yeah, I agree entirely. I think that it's those little snippets in isolation that really cause the issues, not taking in the whole picture, not knowing everything and then deciding what's appropriate in this moment. Given these circumstances and the broad range of skill sets that I have, which slice of this pie am I going to eat today? Or like, how am I going to incorporate this? I just wanted to add there that I feel that upon your conversation before, I totally agree. And most trainers who are worth anything in their field, they certainly agree that their indoctrination of either being a plus R trainer and investing in an understanding of balance training and vice versa. I'm certainly, and I'm an advocate for that myself, I'm certainly a much better trainer for the indoctrination of plus R training that I've had from patient and extremely good trainers in their proficiency in being a plus R trainer. What they've shown me and what I've gained from that has certainly made me a significantly better trainer. To add further to what Pat was saying before, when he used the example of Thorndike and Skinner, they didn't really care about the feelings of animals. And there have been times where I haven't cared about the thoughts and feelings of dogs because I've been impatient and I just wanted the dog to get from section A to section B. But my understanding, my further development in training and having that, as I said before, that influence of plus R training, I've also understood that after you get to B, you need to also arrive at C with the dog as well. There are other things that need to be done. Having that education and having that understanding has certainly improved my clarity and doctrine of what I'm doing and what I'm showing to other people as well. It 100% has made me better. I totally agree with what you said. It's not just a matter of just being here to agree and just lick boots. It's a matter of the education that we've all had and the improvements that we've seen. And that's fundamentally the point that I'm trying to arrive at is if you can provide evidence for me, if you can show me a better way, then of course I want to adopt it into what I'm doing. If you can show me that it improves overall mindset of the dog, if you can show me speed and proficiency in what we're actually doing, why would I want to reject it? Why would I want to ignore that evidence? Not the theory, not the argument, but the actual evidence that you're actually showing me. Yeah, I know that there's different setups and different scenarios, but still it's got to be evidence-based. To finish on this, what I wanted to say before, and it's something that, you know, like I've discussed when Dr. Melanie Uda was on the show and when we've had this conversation roll up several times, I really feel 
that we're focusing on fundamentals of abuse and not on training that's outraging both camps. Like when we see it and we understand that I'm not seeing training happening here, I'm seeing an abusive moment. I'm seeing where the trainer is not connecting with a dog that doesn't care about the feelings of the dog. It's not even education. It's just impatience. When we all see that, we know that we're looking at an example of bad training. Yeah, I mean, the problem is that some people will tell you as soon as XYZ tool is on a dog, it's abuse. So like, you can't have a conversation with those people about that. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I was wanted to say that like what I like about the balanced community is that balanced trainers want results and the focus is results, sometimes to the detriment. And sometimes it's all about the result and the dog's experience is not taken into considerations but at least like there's results because i think what can happen in the r plus community and again not everybody but like it can happen that the sole focus is on the dog's experience and again the dog's experience in the training session not overall over months and that's the sole focus we don't take the client i think balance trainers oftentimes are better in taking the client's experience into consideration too because like when i ask my client to have management tools or don't not take the dog for walk or like go find a fenced in area that does not exist in their client's radius like that just is not a solution that's not so like i think that's what i have a lot of problem with like when we're like creating solutions that aren't really solutions for the client and so the client will not do it or they will feel like a failure trying to do it and not getting anywhere. And so I think sometimes we can choose to maybe not have the most lima experience for the dog, but we know now the client is happier, which then in the grand scheme of things makes the dog's experience better too, because they're not being resented and they're getting more freedom again and some things like that. For sure. Hey, before we do the wrap up, what do you see for the dog world in the next five years? Assuming we, we're not overtaken by aliens in 2024 or nuclear <laughs> war or whatever, assuming there is another five years, what's your prediction? How do you feel about it? I can't predict it. I think it could go many ways. I have hopes and I think like uh, Nick Benger calls it cross-pollination. I want to see more of that. And I've been very adamant. I've been very active on both sides in both communities and whenever I can, I want to bridge the gap. And Chad Mackin and Sarah Dixon had a, a workshop once called Bridging the Gap. She's very R plus. He's balanced. Like they had workshops like we need more stuff like that. We need to bring people together. I saw Pat Stewart and Sarah Streming have a in a clubhouse, like talking to each other. That stuff should happen. Like we should talk about it. But like, guess what? Some certain people have tried that and they got in like death threats for talking to a balanced trainer. So yeah, mate, I'm hoping. Like, so I, I agree with you entirely, but that is the truth. My experience with every time you try to bridge the gap is for the plus R trainer that talks to me, their own audience turns on them. And for me, I get a bunch of lunatics trolling me for the weeks following. And sometimes pretty significantly. I am about to be, you know, it was recorded a week ago. I was on the uh, Fancy Dog Sport to talk about the box of all things, right? And um, they were pretty clear. They were like, are you sure you want to do this? Because, you know, this is not your normal audience and you're going to talk about techniques there. And so in an attempt, I was like, yeah, whatever, like bring it on. Uh, the last guy that gave me death threats, I gave him my home address and said, come around, my friend. Like, I don't think this is going to go the way that you think it's going to go. But it's high risk to do that stuff. It's high risk. You, and you mentioned Nick Benger. You see, find the the post of when I was on his podcast back in his forum and have a read of the comments there about like it's some of yeah. the comments. Well, uh, believe me, I want, I'm, I'm wondering where this is going to go for me, you know, but I, yeah. like, I'm hoping, I'm hoping it's not going to go anywhere because I don't have a social media presence. So good luck finding me there. <laughs> but, so yeah, I don't know. Well, mate, I, I, really I appreciate have... you doing it. I think you're an important voice. I think that you're in both camps and you present a very reasonable approach and you're trying, yep. oh, that's all you're trying to convince people to do is like think yeah. critically, be reasonable. Yeah. It doesn't seem like that's something that you should be attacked for. Yeah. No, <laughs> I, I, I really don't think so either. And if like, yeah, those people that will attack me, like 
I'll delete them. I don't give them my home address because I don't have the training that you have. I'm a, <laughs> I'm a, I'm a chicken. <laughs> I'll run away if they come to my house. But I did have one really funny story that I laughed when you were telling that. So I hope, was hoping I could tell that because like when you're saying like when you're adding an aversive and it pops out somewhere else, right? Mm-hmm. Like I gave my five-year-old son, he's chewing his nails like crazy. So we bought this nail polish that makes it oh, yeah. grow. And the last week we've had like way more meltdowns mm-hmm. and way more outbursts. And we're like, what's going on? And then all of a sudden I'm like, the freaking nail polish. Like yeah. he doesn't have the outlet anymore. And now he needs all the outlets. So it was mm-hmm. so such an interesting. That's it, right? That energy's got to go somewhere. It's, that's, that's a really good example, yeah. actually. I'm going to steal mm. that. That's a really good one. Buy him a punching bag. Let him download the yeah. stress into that. <laughs> yeah, and you give me a dollar every time you use that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but anything to say, do you want people to get in touch with you? How can they? What have you got? Or, or you're just Matthias and that's it. Goodbye. I'm just Matthias. I'm not selling anything. Um, uh, <laughs> So I just train service dog puppies, but I am on Facebook. You can add me as a friend if you go on my wall and tell me how terrible I am or send me private messages. I will unfriend you. Um, But as long as you're nice, you can be my friend. Wonderful. Wonderful. Thanks for doing it, mate. I appreciate you making the time for us. Likewise. Great, mate. Thank you. And to close out is to say thanks, mate, for being broad-minded. I feel that that's the only thing that we can all ask of each other is at least come into a conversation with an open mind and some patience. Well, and thanks to you guys too, because like I think you, as you said, you've tried, you're still trying as far as I can tell. And I think you're you're the people that I want to tell other people, like if you want to explore balance training, like listen to these guys. Like I, I don't think there's much offensive stuff to be heard. So. Awesome. Thanks, mate. All right. Well, that's it for another episode of the Canon Paradigm. As always, if you like what you hear, please like, rate, share, subscribe. Do that through whatever subscription service you download us from and then go to another one. They don't check. You can do it to as many as you want. Just tell people. Uh, just, if, just throw it around yeah, the community. Yeah. Best way to support the show is to tell a friend in real life. Do it. You'd be surprised how much real life actually sort of gets things done versus just posting it online. But posting online helps a lot as if well. If you've got a sticker, put it uh, on their car. Just don't ask. Yeah. Just go and stick it on their car. Yeah, don't ask. Non-consensual. Just, just do what I do when road. I go on motorbike tours is that I go and stick it on people's shop windows and all sorts of things. Like all over yep. Outback New South Wales is a canine paradigm sticker. Just do it. And uh, you can get those stickers from attending events. That's where we give them out. Just yeah. so people know. Because I've had people say, where do I get that sticker? Like, well, you're at an event and I'm there. I'll give you one. Come to my shop. There's a pile of them down there. You can take as many as you want. And if you want to support the show, the best way to do that is jump into Patreon. A couple bucks a month, three bucks a month gets you this giant backlog to a huge amount of information as well as new stuff going forward. Ten bucks a month puts you in where you can hit up the live stream and get questions answered by me once a month. Uh, and then, of course, if you wanted to buy me a Lamborghini, that's totally allowed within Patreon as well. Mm. Uh, another way to support the show is to buy merch. We've got cool merch, cool T-shirts. Get yourself one of those. Uh, everybody loves seeing the, the cool seen, story show the dog one. That's yep. the latest one. Yep. And if you want to get in contact with us, the best way to do that is to jump into the Facebook discussion group. As Matthias pointed out, there's like a lot of information in there. There's a really broad spectrum of people in there. There's more than 10,000 people that are usually all very civil and very nice and helping each other along. But if you want to get in touch with us individually or privately, you could do that. We are info at thecanineparadigm.com. Love you all. Goodbye. <laughs>